history here at St. Columbus. I'm going to start us with prayer and then hand it over to them so that we may listen and learn. God be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, who is eternal, who is our past and our present and our future, help us to open our hearts and minds to all that we may learn about this community, about the places of joy and of hardship, and guide us in discernment about what this means for us how we may continue to learn and grow in your love and share in your abundant justice in this community. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I am Lauren Counts, and I'm here representing the Stirring the Waters Ministry which is hosting this forum today. And Stirring the Waters is a ministry for racial justice. We seek to educate the parish and ourselves on the impact of racism on our communities and our lives and to confront white privilege and promote interracial dialogue to act against racial injustice. So the ministry was founded in The ministry was founded in 2015 by Susan Lang uh, and guided, and it's grown since then, and, and Patty and Bill led it until very recently when I um, took on um, the leadership. And today, it's a really vibrant ministry. Uh, over 15 people come to regular monthly meetings, and each of us is really involved in our own way in this ministry. It's really personal. Uh, it's about our personal commitments and what we each care about and are called to do. So some of the examples, um, which you may have already heard about, um, several of our members are involved in affordable housing advocacy, uh, very involved in those efforts with WIN, Washington Interfaith Network, uh, involved in documenting St. Columba's history through the History Project, and that work is ongoing, uh, led by Sandra Mills. Our members also lead um, a learning series of the Episcopal Church called Sacred Ground. And this is an 11-week series of learning, reading, dialogue um, in, a, in a group. Uh, those sessions just started a couple weeks ago, and there are 25 folks from the congregation participating in that. Um, coming soon, and you'll hear more from Bill, um, we're sponsoring an exhibit uh, called Undesign the Red Line in partnership with several other community partners. And several of us are representation, have representation on the Anti-Racism Task Force, which is leading the church's efforts to become an anti-racist church. So that's just a quick summary about us. And today, this forum will really focus on our neighborhood history and how we became to be a region deeply divided by race and income. And I'm going to hand it over to Sarah Whitener to start 
kick us off. Um, here's the map. Good morning. I'm Sarah Whitener. Very happy to see you all here today. Um, I'm going to talk about the effort to save Moses Cemetery in Bethesda. But first, I want to show you a map that will help orient you to several of the things we're going to mention today. Um, first of all, St. Columbus is down here at the intersection of River Road in Wisconsin. Um, we've got Fort Reno right here, and I'll mention Reno City. Bill is going to talk about Belmont, which was at the intersection of Wisconsin Avenue and Western Avenue. And then I'm going to talk about Moses Cemetery. Oh, there's the S. Moses Cemetery up there. Moses is a little less than two miles from here. Fort Reno is only half a mile from here. So the distances are all very close. Um, next slide. Okay. This is an emblem of the Bethesda African Cemetery Coalition, which has been working for eight years to save the Moses Cemetery from total desecration. There's already been a lot of desecration of a larger area around the little parcels that are involved in the lawsuit, one little parcel especially. But they have been working in every way imaginable for eight years to save it, to save what they can save. This is the church that is um, the center of energy, the Macedonian Baptist Church. You would recognize it as you drive out River Road, it's on the right. It's really a small building right on River Road next to an enormous um, apartment building. And that man is Harvey Matthews. We call him Brother Harvey. He's um, a member of the church. He's a member of BACC. And we consider him one of our most courageous members for speaking up um, at in various places and talk about, talking about his personal experiences as a boy growing up in the community and what happened there. Okay. Many people in this area don't realize that River Road was bordered by slave plantations up until the Civil War. So I thought I'd just show you a map of some of them. This is River Road, the diagonal going up that way. This is Western Avenue down here. And you can see some of the biggest plantations. Loughborough right there was a big one. The Shoemakers, the Councilman Plantation up above. And where it says B and J Acres, B and J Ray Acres, that's where the Moses Plantation, uh, sorry, the Moses Cemetery is, way up there. But still, less than two miles from St. Columbus. This map, okay, yeah. As you can see, this map is of Reno City, uh, 57 years later from the previous one, 1907. 
So this is a map showing the extent of the black community, mostly black community, that grew up around Fort Reno after the Civil War. So you can see the number of roads and residences. There are three churches. Uh, Mount Asbury is not pictured or not, you know, outlined. But this church down here is the uh, Rock Creek Baptist Church. This is St. George's Episcopal Church, which was very connected to St. Columba's. St. George's and St. Columba's were both mission churches sent out by St. Albans. Uh, and, well, I won't get into all of that history, but that's the location of the two. And for those of you who have a vague idea of what's going on now, here's the reservoir that's still there. And this is the site of Alice Steele Middle School now. And then up in the corner is the graveyard um, that all the churches and families at Reno City used. OK. In um, the early 1900s, when white developers realized that there was a huge amount of interest um, in the real estate in this area, they decided that they would push the black families out. And they used a fair number of nefarious means to do that, um, but it, it actually did happen. Um, there was some warning about the cemetery being destroyed for development. So a benevolent society at Reno City called White's Tabernacle Number 39, Sons and Daughters, Sisters and Brothers of Moses, bought two parcels of land off of River Road for a new cemetery to receive the 200 burials from the cemetery at Reno. And this transaction was likely allowed because the two parcels of land were within a pre-existing burial ground made available to slaves because it flooded too frequently to be viable for agriculture. And this wider burial ground from the earlier years was called, that's what we call Old Moses. It has not been delineated. Okay. After the Civil War, as at Reno City, a free black community flourished in the River Road area. This map from 2017 shows in yellow the part of Moses Cemetery that came to be called New Moses. More specifically, it's divided into two parcels, 175 and 177. And if some of you have heard about the lawsuit, it's all about parcel 175. So it's just one piece of that yellow shape, and it's only one piece of the broader Old Moses Cemetery, which has not been delineated. Uh, a few other things I want to point out for your orientation are, if you ever want to go and look at some of these places, McDonald's is, uh, well, there's American Plant, if you can read that faint writing. McDonald's is where the word Browns is. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry, here's McDonald's right down here. Um, this is Landy Lane that Washington Episcopal School is on. They've become a friend of ours. And this is the, um, row of Clipper properties, and the Macedonian Baptist Church is on one of the Clipper properties. 
Okay. So the destruction of the black community in this area in the 1950s happened much like it did at Reno City. The white developers realized the potential of the real estate. They did everything they could to take the ownership of the family properties. Harvey Matthews' home was where the present Kenwood Whole Foods is today. He has spoken at length about the racism and intimidation that African-American families endured at that time. He was a crucial witness to the fact that Moses Cemetery existed, which some leaders in Montgomery County tried really hard to deny. And he testified that he played among the gravestones because it was the only place where black children could play. Okay. A separate parcel of land, parcel 242, which is south of Moses, I mean, south, south of McDonald's, and east of Moses is a stark example of desecration. When the landowner began digging so that he could build a new self-storage facility, descendants were not surprised that funerary objects were found. They had always suspected that this land was part of what was part of Old Moses, um, which held burials from before the time parcels 175 and 77 were bought for New Moses. When bones, possible coffin lids, headstones, and medicine bottles were found. County and state officials tried very hard to avoid fully investigating whether these indicated human burials. In the summer of 2020, many dump trucks were filled with dirt from the excavation and were driven to a landfill in Ijamsville, Maryland, where the dirt was steamrolled. Luckily, BACC members followed the trucks and dug through the dirt before it was steamrolled. They also took thousands of photos, including this one. In 2021, the Housing Opportunities Commission of Montgomery County attempted to sell to a developer the Westwood Towers and the parking lot in parcel 175. The descendant community filed a lawsuit arguing that Maryland law requires court approval before land containing a burial ground can be sold. BACC and the other descendants won in the trial court, but the Maryland Court of Appeals disagreed. In 2023, the Maryland Supreme Court agreed to review our case. Oral argument took place just three weeks ago on January 8th. And the case is the first of its kind by an African-American descendant community to reach a state Supreme Court. This is BACC's lead attorney, pro bono attorney, of the Rothwell Fig firm arguing the case. I would all, and this is the Supreme Court of Maryland. I'd also like to note that Ledley joined a dozen other religious leaders in submitting an amicus brief, which was actually written by my husband, who's available for legal questions later, um, the amicus brief to the Maryland Supreme Court in support of BACC. It may be months before the court decides the case. It took eight months to get um, a decision from the Court of Appeals. 
A win would be a tremendous accomplishment, of course, but regardless of how the case comes out, the fight to save Moses Cemetery will have to continue. Um, this is my last slide. This will give you an idea of what is still ahead of us. It's really daunting to think about, but on the other hand, I don't think anyone in the group ever really thought that the case would come before the Supreme Court of Maryland. So first, we want to stop the desecration. Truthfully, we want to stop it in Old Moses and New Moses. The case in court is only about one little piece, though. We want to study and repatriate the bones from Moses, but that can't be done until the county returns the bones to us, which they have refused to do so far. If we get the bones, when we get them, they will be studied in a lab at the College of William and Mary under the direction of Dr. Michael Blakey. He was a director of the New York African Burial Ground Project, which is now a national monument in Wall Street. He was also recently named co-chair of the American Anthropological Association's Commission for the Ethical Treatment of Human Remains. Despite his national recognition, an incredible background, Montgomery County officials would not grant him full access to Parcel 242 in 2020. They decided a different person would be their choice. Uh, we also want to return Moses to the descendant community, build a museum and memorial at Moses Cemetery, continue educating local residents on the true history of the area. So just so I don't send you along and feeling absolutely terrible about the state that we're in, I, I just want to point out five really, really good things in this category of education. Tracy Oliver Gary is a supporter of BACC, and she's also the supervisor of social studies for MCPS. She has recently added local black history to the curriculum for all students. Washington Episcopal School invited BACC to present age-appropriate history of the area to their third graders, which was delivered by a life-size puppet named Gina. And they have been invited back, so that's a good sign. Whitman High School has an internship program with BACC as well as a four-course certificate in social justice. Jackson Reed High School, their required course in DC history now includes several lessons focused on black land loss in DC. Their Community Coalition for Change Club seeks to counter the forces responsible for the destruction of Reno City. And finally, at the oral arguments before the Maryland Supreme Court, several of the attendees were students from Montgomery County High Schools, four of whom were writing articles for their high school newspapers. Um, we also want to hold accountable those responsible for, for the desecration of Moses Cemetery and create a reparations plan and referendum in Montgomery County. BACC member Robert Stubblefield, who held an open meeting at St. Columbus about his reparations work in Montgomery County, now has about 33 member organizations joining to create a reparations plan. They are also gathering signatures to place reparations on the ballot and ensure that reparations in, Mon in Montgomery County actually happen. 
So thanks again for listening, and please be sure to sign up on the circulating, oh, there it is, um, Sharon has it, circulating sign-up sheet, just to show if you're interested in learning more. Thank you. Um, I'm going to tell another story of uh, how uh, Northwest DC became uh, an exclusive enclave of uh, class and race, and this is the story of Belmont. Um, in 1906, four African American men attempted to develop an elite suburb for African Americans along Wisconsin Avenue between Chevy Chase and Friendship Heights, Maryland. Despite facing intense hostility from adjacent landowners, at least 28 people bought lots. However, their vision was ultimately undone, both by intimidation and more subtler methods, showing how nominally race-blind tools can serve racist ends. Now, let me do a little setup for you here. Um, this is uh, the Friendship Heights metro station. I think you're all familiar with it, the big, ugly concrete building on the right there. Um, basically, uh, Belmont was uh, Western uh, Avenue, uh, going out Wisconsin Avenue, um, all the way to uh, Sachs, and then uh, back through what now is uh, actually that very nice little park there. Um, Chevy Chase behind that had already started to be subdivided and developed. Now if you go out uh, Wisconsin Avenue past Sachs, you uh, end up with the um, west side of the Chevy Chase Club. The Chevy Chase Club original president was uh, Francis Newlands. Um, Chevy Chase was his vision for Northwest DC, basically uh, west of the park, uh, and that was a, a vision of an exclusively white uh, neighborhood as Washington was starting to develop and streetcars were um, starting to develop. Um, Francis Newlands was a senator from uh, Nevada, and he believed that uh, black Americans were basically children, and he favored the repeal of the um, 15th Amendment. If you go out um, Wisconsin Avenue on the left side there, uh, you reach uh, Somerset House, some very expensive condos, and then the village of Somerset itself, uh, which is zoned for uh, single-family uh, housing and the houses are even more expensive than the uh, the condos, and we'll talk about that a little later. So this is the um, plat plan for um, Belmont. Uh, at the bottom left is uh, Wisconsin Avenue. Uh, that's um, Columbia Boulevard, which was just a little bit up from uh, Western Avenue, but it's basically the uh, uh, development that I described in the previous slide. Uh, what happened to Belmont? Well, there, there are three things. There are a number of things, but I'm going to sort of highlight three things. 
one of them was the hostility of a white residence uh, in Somerset, Chevy Chase and Friendship Heights. This is a quote out of uh, the Washington Times. To establish a Negro colony at Belmont, practically at our doors, and beyond the restraint of the district police force would mean the impairment of our property values, a constant menace to our peace and security, and the destruction of the happiness of our homes. Now, this statement uh, probably wouldn't be made quite in this way uh, in uh, 2024, but I, I think you can imagine perhaps some dog whistles uh, that might end up uh, saying the same thing. Um, also, uh, the white residents of Somerset, Chevy Chase, and Friendship Heights uh, convinced uh, a couple of uh, Montgomery County's uh, finest, the sheriff, to arrest um, Mr. Satterwaith, uh, who was one of the original syndicate owners. Uh, they hauled Mr. Satterwaith uh, to a judge's porch on uh, River Road. Uh, where he was tried uh, for selling uh, real estate without a license. Uh, the judge found him innocent because, of course, as a member of the syndicate, uh, he was uh, not an uh, agent, but he was, he was an owner. Um, none of this explicitly racist uh, action stopped Belmont, however. Whoops. Um, first of all, uh, we all know about the uh, legacy of restrictive covenants. It's interesting, these two covenants are uh, a part of our history. One is Belmont and one is Chevy Chase Section 2. The one on the left, what made Belmont possible uh, was that there weren't a lot of restrictions on the type of house and that the house value was uh, $1,000. So this is a, a development where um, black Washingtonians can, uh, black and white, since the uh, development was welcoming of both, uh, but, but middle class uh, Washingtonians can buy developments. Chevy Chase Section 2, interestingly enough, does not have any racial covenant in it. However, you notice the house value uh, is at least 3,000, three times what Belmont is, and uh, it's uh, uh, 5,000 on um, Connecticut Avenue. Um, this pattern continues today, not by covenant, but by the absence of affordable housing. Uh, Northwest has almost no, Northwest DC has almost no affordable housing in a country where black households have one-ninth of the health of the wealth of white families and where starter homes in Northwest DC started about 800,000, uh, that to some extent uh, assures that our neighborhood will remain white. Now, we've got uh, house prices and we've got outright hostility there are also more subtle means uh, for the failure of uh, Belmont. Chevy Chase Land Company, which was founded by Francis Newlands, 
uh, used financing tools to stall sales until the Belmont Syndicate ran out of money. So basically, the Belmont Syndicate uh, had a deed of trust, but that deed of trust was held by the Chevy Chase Land Company. Uh, in addition to that, uh, black Washingtonians attempting to uh, buy homes in Belmont were frozen out of the uh, mortgage uh, market. And eventually, uh, in just five years' time, uh, Belmont uh, basically disappeared. Uh, it was eventually erased from the map uh, in the late uh, 1920s. Now, why is it you, we've never heard about Belmont? Well, the history has an amazing way of uh, at least uh, racial history and, and history generally has an amazing way of conveniently retelling stories. Um, long after Belmont disappeared uh, in the retelling, uh, Belmont was not a development by black professionals, but one for servants and agricultural workers. Uh, there were rumors that suggested the developers were not back black possibly were part of an extortion plot. Uh, in the memory of the events, the black neighborhood is lower class, servile, and even criminally undesirable, uh, just as the project's uh, contemporary opponents seem to um, envision. Now, um, black suburbs did develop, uh, as we perhaps know, uh, however, uh, never again in Northwest DC. Um, the red line uh, there, interestingly enough, um, is a um, streetcar, and uh, there were several, uh, more beyond this, uh, black uh, developments actually um, funded by white developers that developed in PG County. Uh, over uh, the uh, 20s, 30s, and uh, 40s. So let's look at uh, Washington today. Um, this is Washington today as of 2019. Uh, you can see, uh, first of all, it's a little deceiving. Um, Northwest DC is diverse, but it is uh, obviously not, uh, uh, does not contain a large portion of black residents. As you can see, uh, uh, east of the Anacostia, uh, Washington has a huge concentration of black residents. This is sort of a segue for um, what I'm going to talk about next, which is uh, undesigned, the, the red line. Uh, and also, it's why we want to bring it to um, DC. Um, Undesigned the red line um, is, uh, the purpose is to help us uh, grapple with inequities in housing, education, income, criminal justice, and health, and consider the fundamental questions of how did we get here and what does this mean for where we are going. The Undesigned the Red Line exhibit plan for Upper Northwest DC and, and related programs will help answer these questions. St. Columbans um, have brought together 
a coalition of houses of worship, together with a, a community coalition, including trade groups, historians, banks, foundations, schools, and local government, to bring stories like um, the story of Moses Cemetery and the story of Belmont to <clears throat> Northwest DC and to uh, our neighborhood. Um, the use of undesigned, the red line in the title, is uh, ironic, actually. We came to be an exclusive enclave of race and wealth by design. The whole idea of undesigned, the red line, is how is it that we begin to undesign uh, the pattern that has been created? Uh, as I said, it's a broad-based coalition, understand how we became to be, and most importantly, we hope that Undesign is a catalyst for action in terms of addressing avenues of repair that can address racial inequities. Thank you, Bill and Sarah, for the two really engaging. And before I open up for questions, I just want to highlight how you can engage in this work at the church. Um, there are about 25 people going on a pilgrimage to Alabama in, in a few weeks um, to take a tour of Montgomery and other uh, places, Selma, other places of um, our racist past. Uh, the Undesigned, the Red Line exhibit will be in the spring, and there will be a forum dedicated to the exhibit and what to, what to find um, on March 10th, so putting a plug for that. Um, there will be some discussion groups during Lent. Um, you'll hear more about those um, in the near term. And here's our contact information. Feel free to reach out to any of us if you're interested in Stirring the Waters, BACC, Undesign. Um, you know, we're happy to have more members in our ministry and doing, doing what it is you feel called to do. So I'll open it up for questions. You can go up to the mic. Um, I walked in a few minutes after this started, so it may, might have been mentioned in the beginning, um, so I apologize. But I was wondering, what does the Undesign the Red Line have any relationship with the current uh, uh, project to redevelop the Chevy Chase Community Center? Um, actually, uh, no, um, we're probably using, uh, we'll be using some of that as a resource, but uh, we have been uh, blessed uh, with just an enormous amount of uh, work that has been done in uh, Northwest DC. If you 
want to take a walk down uh, Wisconsin Avenue towards uh, Rodman's uh, on the uh, right side of the street. The Rodman's side of the street is a terrific uh, uh, set of panels in the Pepco building outdoors. You stand outside and look at them. Uh, both on uh, Belmont, which I just talked about, and on uh, Broad Branch, which are both um, black communities that existed uh, in Northwest um, DC and in uh, Maryland that have uh, been in many ways lost to history. We're very aware, of, not we're very aware, but many of us and a lot of scholarship has gone into educating many of us who knew nothing about the red line to understanding how both the federal government, realtors, uh, developers, state government, city governments participated openly in that and of course the hostile white residents. What are the things that are operating today in the sale of houses and the policies that we should be alert to that recreate the effects of redlining? Elizabeth, do you have anything to say on this? One thing that's currently under consideration is the creation of a new historic district in Chevy Chase, D.C. Um, that would have the effect of, uh, as a policy, of recreating, well, not recreating, but reinforcing some of the uh, segregation that we see there today because it will prevent uh, redevelopment, make it more expensive for um, new units to be built there, for, um, for uh, rehabilitation of units of homes that are already there. Um, so that's one thing. Um, that's, a, that's a big question, an important question, but I also want to throw out a teaser for Undesign the Red Line exhibit. One of the programs that we'll be offering will be from the National Association of Realtors and the National Fair Housing Alliance, we're going to review current demographics and offer information about how we are still engaged in practices that are reinforcing this community looking as it does now. And also, what else is being done under current laws that have been passed to ensure more um, uh, egality and um, what's going on. So more information there if you're interested, April 11th this year. And I would just say zoning is a big tool in, in preserving the status quo and the color of law by Richard Rothstein um, outlines how that all is playing out today. Thank you. Given the history, the Marriott Corporation Precursor, Hot Shops, Washington Episcopal Schools, and connection with Hot Shops all along River Road. Are you getting corporate support from Marriott or uh, other large businesses in the uh, area? 
for BACC? Uh, just generally in terms of the uh, effort uh, regarding Moses' support for the BACC education, there are a lot of options there, and Marriott in particular you know, uh, does support uh, uh, other nonprofit, non-governmental, and community projects in the area. I have to say I really don't know the answer to that excellent question. I just learned that Marriott used to be on their headquarters, used to be where the Washington Episcopal School is now. And I would just want to throw in a little tidbit that when it was a black community in that area, that was where their baseball fields were. They had a baseball team and they played a lot of serious baseball with other, other teams, just had to bring that up. Um, I don't know, but it's, it's worth looking into. I think some of, um, if the answer's no, it's a manpower thing. Um, for instance, the little Macedonian church is not historically preserved at all. And I'm sure that's because nobody has the time and, or expertise to take it on. So this would sounds like a good outreach project and um, probably the leaders, I haven't even named the leaders yet, realized. The um, pastor of the Little Macedonian Baptist, it's not called Little, it is Little, of the Macedonian Baptist Church is Reverend Ola Shegun Adebayo, we call him Shegun, and his wife is Marsha Coleman Adebayo, and she is the head of the BACC, which grew out of the social justice ministry at their church. So I just want to say their names. And I'm going to talk to them about it. Thank you very much. Um, I was uh, negligent in uh, doing a little shout out to uh, Undesign the Red Line partners, uh, Elizabeth uh, Vaden and uh, Patty Jensen, uh, we have been working along with Joy Bates Boyle and uh, Ben Bradburn. We've been working for about two years, more than two years, to bring uh, Undesign uh, to um, Northwest DC. We all saw it at the uh, Columbia uh, Library uh, in the late fall of 21. Um, the exhibit will run from uh, April 11th until July 10th. We're very excited about it. Um, I just wanted to say one thing, uh, another factor in terms of how we uh, remain uh, so wide in Northwest DC, and that goes back to my presentation, hostility um, you, and, and culture. Just the, the pure fact uh, that uh, we are not a welcoming uh, community just goes a long way. Uh, to, um, to our isolation. Okay. I'll let you take the mic. I'm not sure this is a question, but an observation that um, this is really encouraging. This is all new to me. And, um, but it seems to me that there's, um, you mentioned about the dog whistle thing that this isn't so totally historic, but it has kind of been passed down to the present time. And so what I notice a similar thing whenever there are conversations about redrawing of school boundaries. Um, and 
uh, welcoming the homeless uh, building in Cleveland Park by the police station, there was a lot of resistance from the school communities um, and residents in the area um, for all very kind of worthy uh, reasons and objections, but um, the end result being that they, they're, they're expressing a desire to keep things as they are and not welcome this kind of uh, cultural or racial change. And I just wondered if, and, and so this is encouraging that you're chipping away at that and, um, but you know, are you, is there an involvement in those kind of conversations and should we be involved in those conversations as ordinary people? Thanks so much for that comment. I actually, I've neglected to say something very important about Undesign the Red Line, and that is that the, the whole idea of Undesign the Red Line is Hold that people... Closer to your mouth. I'm sorry. The whole idea of Undesign the Red Line is that people come in and they are uh, confronted with this history. Some of them come away uh, very emotional about it. But the idea of Undesign the Red Line is to provide an open uh, space, a caring space where people can discuss these stories. Um, and uh, perhaps we can begin to process them. Some people are further along in their journeys, but uh, the beauty of the exhibit is that uh, it is open to all uh, and that it is a safe place, or at least we intend to make it a safe place. Just one more thing on, on Joy's question. Um, I was very, very heartened 30 years ago, when my kids were in public school, they went to Janney, Deal, and Wilson. And I was very involved as a volunteer and went to a ton of PTA meetings and stuff like that. And the parents at those schools were desperate to get them more diverse, the student body more diverse. And they tried so many different things. So one piece of the answer is if you want to engage with other people who are like-minded, the schools, I guess many of us are a little bit out of that category right now of having younger children, but um, schools are a great place to do it. And I was very proud to be a part of that effort. And sometimes, no matter what we wanted, we couldn't make it happen, but we tried. That, has to, that speaks to the you know, redistricting and stuff like that. Well, we don't want to cut out that elementary school because that elementary school will bring a lot of diversity to our little place, but we don't have room for those kids. Well, could we? That kind of thing. Yeah, I think Elizabeth has a comment. Yeah, this was just a follow-up to that question, which was great. Um, St. Columbus is a member of the Washington Interfaith Network, which has been working very hard through its Ward 3 affiliate, of which um, I'm a member for St. Columbus, to, um, to identify opportunities to increase um, um, uh, diversity and economically and racially in this area. We've been working very hard on um, the Chevy Chase Community Center to ensure that there's substantial affordable housing for people in um, who are uh, the most needy in this city. We're also working on a number of other opportunities. There are public lands that are becoming available, for example, at Nebraska Avenue, where the um, Department of Homeland Security 
had a space where we're hoping to be able to advocate on behalf of affordable housing there. Um, and we helped work with developers who have um, been doing redevelopment projects along Wisconsin Avenue as well to try to make sure to press them to maximize affordable housing in those places. And so for anybody who's interested in, um, in, in more information about what we're doing, how we're advocating for this work, um, please, uh, you can be in touch with Lauren Counts at the email here, or you can reach out to, to me, um, and I'd be happy to provide that information to anybody who, who's interested. Thanks, Elizabeth. Hi, everyone. Just building on Elizabeth's comment and some of the other comments, I just wanted to share how excited I am about the Undesigned the Red Line and how it's connecting so many of the activities we're doing at St. Columbus. So there's the actual advocacy with um, developers and government that Elizabeth talked about. But we know that when we go to these Chevy Chase Community Center meetings, it's some of our neighbors that are saying the kinds of things that we're discussing, and I think the Undesigned, the Red Line exhibit, as you mentioned, Bill, is a real opportunity for us as part of our St. Columbus ministry to really reach out into our community and play the role of trying to shift the hearts and minds of some of our neighbors, which is one of the barriers to progress. Um, and so I think all of this is really coming together in a really exciting way, in a really um, important moment for us this spring as we celebrate our 150th and look to the past and look forward to the future. Um, and I do hope that part of our advocacy ministry is to begin to shift the mindsets of people in this community. I think it's possible to do. We all saw all the Black Lives Matter signs that went up a couple of years ago. People believe in this and they sometimes don't make the connections between their complaints about what's going on and wanting to keep everything the same and not remove a tree and all of that. And the, the racist past, and I think if we can help people connect those things better, we might have um, an ability to, to make change over the long term in our community. So I just really want to thank everyone for all the work you're doing on this. Thank you, Gina. That's a great closing comment. I want to thank all of you for coming uh, and, and hearing the stories today and, and join us. Thank you. For anybody who's interested, somebody just asked me, the Undesigned the Red Line exhibit will be held at the Cleveland Park Library. Um, and uh, there will be programming um, in various places, including at the library. 